Well, God bless you for being here. We're so glad you're here. Felt like I got a little bit of a word this morning in first service. Feel like 2010 is a is a big year for us as a church, is a big year for you as a as the church, as individuals. I believe 2010 is a year of breakthrough. I believe 2010 is a year of 2010 is a year of provision. Can you imagine having a full table full of food? Just imagine a hundred feet of table full of the greatest food, all fruits, vegetables, meats, drinks, and yet we starve. We don't eat. And I believe that that's where we are as, you know, Father God and through his son Jesus and through the Holy Spirit has made total provision for us. Total. Every need we could have has been provided for. Yet it sits there and we don't access it. The church. Believers, I'm not talking about the lost, I'm talking about believers. 2009 was a year of coming up short. That's not kingdom. That's not God's kingdom. God's kingdom does not come up short. You know, it's, it's like having a full checking account, but going broke. It's like having total healing, but being sick. Do you hear me? Provision has been made. The problem is God's given us a choice. He has given us free will to choose. Yet he says, it's all done. Would you please choose me? If you were here at Christmas Eve, my whole sermon was about your choice. It was about your choice. Would you choose him? This gift that's been given. This provision that's been made. And all he desires for you to do is to choose him. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to do it all right. He's just looking for a heart that desires him. If you can just kind of get in your mind, 2010, the table's been set. 2010 is the time the church accesses it. It is time for the church to access God's provision. Again, I I didn't say this in first service. I didn't talk anything about the pit in first service. But 2010 is the time we make the choice to come out of the pit. The provision of getting out of the pit has been made. The provision of what you're battling. If you're battling drugs, I want you to know the provision has been made for you to get off of drugs. But you've got to choose to walk away from it. I'm not saying it's easy. Sometimes it's hard. You know, a lot of the choices we've had to make in 2009 have been hard. Some of the choices have been wrong. But if we will start to choose God, you know, it's important that we get in his word, that we know what he wants, because you know what? He wants you to choose him and he wants you to choose him his way. 
He has a way, and it's a good way. It's a safe way, and it's foolproof. He does not desire you to stay in the desert. That is not what he provided for you when he sent his son to die on the cross. The desert, the pit, he does not desire you to stay in the pit. Somebody, somebody needs to get excited and needs to allow that excitement to take him to start choosing correctly. It's easy to get excited. It's easy. But you know what? That excitement passes. Now, can we start to walk this thing out? Do you remember with, with the children of Israel being in the desert and they sent the spies? You remember it looked horrible. But what we a lot of times don't see is that the spies knew they were, that they were coming. I mean, not the spies. The enemy knew they were coming. And they were scared to death. Waiting 40 years, when are they ever going to come and take us over? Because we know they're going to come. The enemy knows it's defeated. But yet we sit in the desert. We go by those 10 that say it looks awful. We don't listen to the two that says, what's the problem? When David stands up and says, how dare you speak of my God like that? I don't care if you are five feet taller than I am and probably 300 pounds heavier than I am. How dare you? You don't know my God. I do. But you know what? David had to take the five stones and slay the giant. The giant just didn't fall dead. David didn't have an intercession moment where they just prayed and the giant fell down. We want to sit here and have these moments where we pray over our finances. You know what? We got to do something about our finances. If we will do, if we will cast the stone, God will do the miracle. God is looking for you to do something. God is pleased. God is moved by faith. If you don't choose to get out of the pit, you're going to stay in the pit. 2010 is a year that we get out of the pit. I don't think Church on the Hill has been in the pit. But let me tell you, there's a lot more to church than where we are. I don't believe this is what heaven looks like. I believe we've got a little taste, but I believe it looks a lot better in heaven. <laughs> I believe worship looks a lot better in heaven. Do we, do we have some room to grow? Absolutely. Well, this is the year to grow. Not stay where we are. Not stay where we are with our personal finances or with our kids struggling or with marriages falling apart. God's not the God of a marriage falling apart. He's the God of rescuing marriages. Amen. It's a lot better than you're taking it, but that's all right. I speak over you. I spoke over first service. I'm going to speak over this service. Father, I thank you that we are going to be a church that accepts and walks out your word. Lord, that we totally take what you say here and that we start to walk obediently uh, according to what you have called us to do. And Lord, I thank you that you are going to make every provision. That the seed, that our seed shall possess the gates of the enemy. That we are not going to be a church of lack. We are not going to be a people of lack. But we're going to be a people of abundance. Because that's what your word says. You're an abundant God. You came to give life and to give it more abundantly.
And 2010 is the year that we start walking in this and that we start to access your provision. Thank you, Lord. Somebody get on board with me. We've been looking over the last few months about how God has given us names for every need that we have. What need do you have? God has an answer for you. God is the answer. Do you have a provision need? We all know it. Jehovah Jireh, I am the Lord, your provider. Do you know when he gave that provision? Do you know when he gave that word? It was when Abraham was on the mountain about to sacrifice his son. Abraham stepped out to do what, he, what, he, what was required. And he said, even if I have to slay my son, God will raise him from the dead. But I'm going to obey. And what did he do? He stopped him. And he provided. Abraham moved. God moved. If you look at the word Rofi, Jehovah Rofi, I'm the Lord, your healer. Do you remember? They were in an area where the water was bitter. The women were barren. What did he say? Throw a twig in it. Just throw a twig in it. Just do something to show me that you're obedient. There's no healing in the twig. But by your faith, I will move. They throw the twig in. What happens? The women start having babies again. And he, and he reveals himself at that time. I am the Lord, your healer. Did you see what I just did? This is who I am. God has a name for everything. We've been looking at, is God a good father? You know, I believe that your happiness lies in your view of who God is. If you have the wrong view of God, your happiness is at stake. You know, we get our views from God from our parents, which a lot of times can be wrong. We get our views from God from church, which a lot of times can be wrong. We get our, we get our views from movies, which I haven't seen it get right very much. We get our views from school, from our friends. We have all these views of God. And what I want you to do over the next few weeks is set all those aside and let's allow the word of God to tell us who God is. You know, scripture says that the truth shall set you free. It's time that the church get free. It's time that the word of God and truth start coming. And you know, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. It's time we start getting truth and start getting free. Amen. One of the things that Jesus did when he came to earth was to show us the father. Was to show us really who father God was. And you know what? When he came, he broke every stereotype of God. You know, we think of him as being this infinite energy field. He's not. He's personal. Some think that he's some angry tyrant who sets up in heaven trying to make people miserable. Jesus broke that down. Think that the earth is kind of like a top, one of God's tops, and spins it up and spins it and just watches it go out of control, you know, w without having his hand upon it at all. Jesus broke that mold. What is God really like? What kind of father is God? Two weeks ago, we started looking at this, and we looked at misconceptions about God. And I just want to tell you, if you didn't hear this, and if this kind of throws you off a little bit, go back and get the tape, get, download it from the website, but we have so many messed up views of, of 
of God because of how our father was to us. And many have said, if God is anything like my father, I don't want anything to do with him. And I can understand. But I ask you, we need to kind of hit the delete button and start all over. It's time we kind of start building from foundation, not based on maybe your experience, but based on truth. Do you know the things you've walked through can skew the way you think? So let's look at what scripture says about God the Father. Jesus came to show us the Father. Jesus came and he said in two words, he said, this is how you should pray. What does that mean? That means when you talk to God, how should you talk to him? And what did he say? He said, our father in heaven. Jesus came to reveal God as father. I want you to catch something here. He didn't say pray to my father. He said, our father. Do you see how there's no rejection in this statement? There's only acceptance. And he not only took it to the point of just saying, hey, this is my father. This is our father. Our heavenly father. Our father. Everybody say father. Father. Amen. But what is God the father really like? God, this is where we're going to go today, and I'm going to end with this one. I'm not done yet, but this is as far as I'm going today. God is a caring father. He is compassionate. He is loving. He is gracious, and he cares about you. It's so easy to come in here and to immediately dismiss where we are, because I know you've probably heard this a thousand times. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. Yeah. If I, I remember, I said a few weeks ago, we know the right things to say, but do we really walk this out? Do we live like we know that God loves us? And I just ask you, hang in there with me. God is gracious. He cares about you. He cares about you more than you can even know. Your mind can't grasp how much he loves you because our brains just aren't big enough. But compassion is one of God's number one, is one of his top attributes or characteristics. The Bible shows us in Psalm 103 that as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who honor him. God is caring. God is compassionate. You know, there's a story in Mark 4 where the disciples, the original 12 that hung out with Jesus, that learned from Jesus, they were out fishing. And they're on a boat and they're out there fishing. They're out away from the, from the land and Jesus is asleep. Everybody knows the story. Jesus is asleep. And what happens? Storm comes. Doesn't the storm always come? You can even have your closest relationship with the Lord and a storm comes. And sometimes it just feels like Jesus is asleep. Doesn't have any idea what's going on. Jesus, you need to wake up because you don't know what's going on. It's not true, but do, have we felt like that before? So all of a sudden it's raining, it's thundering, it's lightning, it's raining like cats and dogs. All of a sudden waves start crashing in. The boat starts taking on water and it starts to capsize. And what do the disciples do? They run down to the bottom, wake him up. Lord, Lord, don't you care that we're about to sink? 
Don't you care that we're about to perish? And this is one of the greatest questions, one of the biggest questions that is in human existence. I want you to catch this. Does God care about my problems? Can you compute that? Go back and read that in Mark 4. They go down to the bottom of the, of the boat and say, Lord, don't you care what's about to happen to us? You see, this is the same problem that we have. Don't you care what I'm going through? Does God care about what you're going through? The answer is yes. It is yes. It's a big yes. What does it say in 1 Peter 5? It says, cast some of your anxieties. Wait a minute. Just cast the really spiritual anxieties, the really important ones. Just cast the the ones that God really needs to hear about. Is that what God says? If you've got your Bible, this is a big scripture for you, for you as you walk through this year. This is something that we forget so quickly. It says, cast all your anxieties. What does that include? That includes everything. That includes from the big to the small. That includes your financial. That includes your physical. That includes your relational. That includes your social. That includes your mental. That includes your spiritual. Why? Because... He cares for you. This is not rocket science. Do you see how we need to get back to the basics? God cares for you. He cares about your hurts. He cares about your stresses. He cares about your worries. You know, until you settle the issue that does God care about me, you're not going to get to know him. You know why? Because why would you get to know somebody that doesn't care about you? Now, if I ask the question, does God care about you? Everybody would say yes. But do we live that way? No. This goes for me, too. It's so easy to drop everything and to worry and to fall into our pit. But until you know, there's a there's a saying that says, Nobody cares what you know until they know that you care. Nobody cares how much I know until they know how much I care. And you're not going to care what God has to say until you know how much he cares about you. You know, someone can speak into your life when you know they have your best interest at heart. This whole thing with uh, Texas Tech, this whole thing with this coach and doing this to this player. The problem is the coach doesn't appear to have the player's best interest at heart. The key to you walking this out is when you finally grasp that God really, really has your best interests at heart. Really. And he is really thinking about you. That's enough to blow your mind. But that's where we've got to get. In order to come out of the pit, you've got to believe that God can get you out of it. And that he wants you out of it. Does he care about you? Yes, he cares about you. Does he care about your house payment? Yes. Yes. 
Does he care about the fact that your kids have to have braces? Yes. You know what? I got up one day and everything was great. Next day, three of my kids had to have braces. Same day. There better be a God. Where are you, Lord? You created these teeth. You give me the provision to straighten them. You know what he said? I got it. I got it. You may not see it right away, but are you going to trust me? Here's a great moment for you to trust me, Paul. Will you trust me or will you go run and try to find it some other way? No, Lord, I trust you. Doesn't always work that way. I don't always do that. Does he care about your grades? Yes, he does. Do your parents care about your grades? Yes, they do. Yes, God cares about your grades. Does, your, does he care about whether you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend? Yes. Does God care about your financial investments? Yes. Does God care about your ambitions, your hopes, your desires? Yes. Does God care whether you're a success or a failure in life? Yes. For I know the plans I have for you. They're plans of a hope and a future. Do y'all know that? He knows every detail. The Bible says that God knows every hair on your head. That they're numbered. For some of you, that's not that big of a deal. But for others, that's a big deal. But I guarantee you, not one here knows how many hairs you got on your head. Not, not one. But God knows. You know something else? God knows the original color of your hair. You may have everybody fooled but your hairdresser and God. You may even have your hairdresser fooled. You may even have you fooled. Forgot what it looks like. God knows. You know what? God knows every mole you've got too. Everything that's hidden that nobody's ever seen, God knows it. He knows every intimate detail. Because of that, Scripture says, Oh, I missed that. Susanna, that was for you. Yep, that was... Not because you're moody, but because you played Lucy. Anyway, let's go back to that. God cares about your moods. Let me really start preaching. God cares about your moods. Susanna, when I was, I don't know how old I was. You were in sixth grade, fifth grade? Fifth grade. That means I was in first grade. She played Lucy. Did a great job. And the Oscar goes to... Anyway. That was for her. All right. Financial investments. Yes, we got that. All right. God cares about every detail of your life. He goes on to say in Matthew 6, don't worry. Saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Your heavenly father knows that you need it. He says, what are you worrying about? God knows every detail of your life. Fathers, can you imagine your kids coming up and being worried about the next meal they were going to eat? Being worried whether or not they were going to have clothes to wear to school? Can you imagine your child coming up and saying, Daddy, I just don't know where we're going to get the food to eat our next meal. You know, if that were to happen to me, I'd consider myself a failure. Why? Because as the father, I'm the provider. I'm my kid's provider. 
God's my provider, but I provide for my children, right? I, I, am what re- I represent God to my kids. And I represent him by being a provider for them. You know, it's my job as dad to take care of my kids' needs. I love them. I care about them. I'm committed to meeting their needs. If their needs aren't being met, I blame myself. But you know what? Just the same way you as adults, God the Father desires to meet your need. He has provided this banquet table of everything that you need. All the provision is there. We just have to access it. All provision. All provision. All provision. It's not the scripture I was looking for. God doesn't want you worrying about anything. You know, whenever you start to worry, it's a warning sign that you are doubting the love that God has for you. Whenever you start to get anxious and stressed, you start to doubt that God desires to meet every one of your needs. You know, we start to think, I'd better really kick it in here because God's not really listening to me. And he really doesn't care about this. So what do we do? We take it on ourselves or God, this is just too, this is just not big enough. You don't care about this. I'm going to have to work this out because God doesn't care wrong. Every time you're worrying, you're doubting that God really cares about every detail in your life. Now, what happens to me is sometimes people will come to me completely stressed out. Going through all kinds of panic attack, feeling nervous and pressured and fatigued, telling me everything that they're worried about. And then finally, it comes down to this. You know, pastor, I believe I just I believe it's just that I don't love God enough. You know, my response is you miss the whole point. It's not that you don't love God enough. It's that you don't realize how much he loves you. You don't realize how much he loves you. That's why you worry. That's why you get stressed. That's why you get tense and nervous. You don't realize how much he loves you and how much he cares for you and how much he's committed to take care of your needs if you will trust him. And because you don't realize how much he loves you, that's why you're all stressed out. You need to know God as a caring father. He is a caring father. 